Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. On the new podcast, American Criminal, you'll learn about the fraud, theft, and murder that marks the dark side of the American dream. Like the Menendez murders, was it two greedy kids who killed their parents for money, or is there more? Listen to American Criminal wherever you get your podcasts. A one, two, three, four. Thanks for listening to this podcast produced by Diddy TV. Visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content or download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. Hi there, I'm Amy Wright, and I'm so excited about today's conversation. We have some of the most talented pickers and players around on the call today. Certified guitar player Tommy Emanuel, as well as two uniquely gifted collaborators, multi-award winning Rob Ikes and Trey Hensley. These three fellas teamed up to release an EP as a part of Tommy's Accomplice series, one of the most talked about projects of the year. This is just volume one, and it's completely and utterly impressive. All you have to do is give it a listen, and you'll hear what I mean. I'm honored to have these guys on the show to get to know them and to discuss their new EP. So let's get to it. You're listening to Insights by Diddy TV. Hey guys, welcome to Diddy TV. How are you? Doing well. How are you doing, Amy? Very good. So I have to say that we have so much talent on this in this room, on this call. Um, I didn't even know where to start with it, but I'm going to start with Tommy Emanuel, certified guitar player by his idol, music icon Chet Atkins, and Music Radar's Readers Poll number one winner of the 10 best acoustic guitarists in the world. Uh, no slouch there, Tommy. And then, and then we have uh, Rob Ikes and Trey Hensley. And between the two of you, we have a 15-time International Bluegrass Music Association Russophonic Guitar Player of the Year and a Tennessee-born guitar prodigy called Nashville's Hottest Young Player. And one of the things we're going to talk about, and we'll get to that, is that you guys all teamed up and you put together an EP, Accomplice Series Volume 1. Yeah. But let's 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 sort of back up and talk to each of you individually, just so that folks can get a feel for how you got where you you are, because you are so accomplished, and um, that 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 takes a while to get there, and a lot of talent just innately. But um, why don't we start with you, Tommy? And yes, um, let's let's go back to your your youth in Australia, and mm-hmm. how you got started with guitar. You're, you're sort of known for Travis picking, right? That's one of the styles. Travis picking, Chet Atkins style, Merle, uh, Merle, Merle Travis style, Jerry Reed style. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's part of what I do. I'm, um, uh, it's, it's not all I do, you know. I play lots of different styles. I love bluegrass music. I love jazz. 
I love classical music, you know, and I have a go at everything. Uh, you know, I, I don't, you know, I guess if I had to say I specialised in one thing, it would be writing songs for a fingerstyle guitar, if I had to say I specialised in anything. But I love all kinds of music, and, and I always have. I started out as a rhythm guitar player, as an accompanist for my brother, who, who played all the melody. He just wanted to be the melody or the lead player, and he wanted me to be his accompanist, right? So because I was so little, I was only five, six years old at that time, um, <clears throat> we, we had to learn everything off records and off the radio. And by some, I don't know whether it was nature's intentions or what, but I, when I listened to a record, I was not aware that there was a bass guitar on there. So I worked out how to play the rhythm part that I heard and the bass part at the same time, thinking that that was the right thing. So it didn't sound like anything was missing when we <laughs> played together. I, I covered the bass and the rhythm, but that prepared me for when I heard Chet Atkins and Merle Travis. I heard straight away, oh, he's doing everything at once. And everybody tried to tell me, oh, now it's a recording trick. You know, you can't do that. And I said, yeah, well, I think so. It goes like this. And I worked out what he was doing sort of thing in my own, in my own um, country ignorant way. Um, and, um, and, and that, that kind of stuck with me, you know, and that, that's how I learned music off the radio and, and uh, from records just by ear listening to things. So, you know, I didn't have any formal training and I'd, I still don't read music. Um, I never had a guitar lesson in my life. I just stole everything as, you know, I'm guilty of petty theft, uh, <laughs> probably more than most people. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about playing by ear, which I assume all three of us, you know, kind of, learn that way and still learn that way you just it's kind of like that ignorance is bliss you know and you just say oh well i i'm gonna figure out some bass parts on the dobro you know well okay go ahead you know and and just because somebody hasn't done it before or whatever you know it doesn't mean it can't be done and yeah. uh you know the the self-taught thing is is pretty cool really i mean just amazing what you could figure out sitting with a record player a cd or you know whatever youtube yeah Rob, were you self-taught? Yeah, pretty much every every dobro player is self-taught because there's no <laughs> there's not many people that know how to play it. So I, when somebody asks me, you know, I want to play, you know, how do I learn? It's like, well, you're going to spend a lot of time by yourself, you know, because you just you just kind of have to figure it out by yourself. But I mean, there's more teaching stuff now, you know, but. Um, but it's the, the left hand technique is so different. You know, you have a bar, a metal bar on your left hand. And so that's just different than any other instrument. And it was my first instrument. And remember when I was a kid, everyone was telling me, you got to play guitar. You got to learn some chords. You know, it's like, I don't want to play guitar. I want to play dobro. So yeah. I just jumped in. And I think that, again, that ignorance <laughs> helps, you know, because holding a bar in my left hand, that was the first thing I ever did musically. So it, it makes sense to me now, you know, but um, yeah, you just got to kind of dig in and use your ear and just try to try to hear what people are doing, you know? 
Well, so what attracted you to the Dobro? If uh, you know, because as a kid, you can't think. You think kids are probably seeing guitar playing more than they are Dobro playing. So, so what did you see that sort of inspired you to pick up the Dobro? Well, when I was surrounded by music when I was a kid, because my grandparents played a lot of music and they were into old time fiddle music, and I was supposed to be a fiddle player. And uh, but I never really took to it. And then, uh, but I was around these old fiddle tunes and these old melodies a lot. And I I loved hearing it. I loved seeing people play. And then when I was twelve, um, I went to this bluegrass festival out in Grass Valley, California. Uh, I grew up around San Francisco, and um, and it just blew my mind. You know, bluegrass festivals are great because you know the music's great, but after the music's done, everybody stays up all night and plays. You know, and you walk around to these different jam sessions, and there's this amazing energy because. The rest of the year, you know, nobody knows who Tony Rice is or J.D. Crow or, or Earl Scruggs. And then at this one place, everybody knows who, who your heroes are. So I think it kind of creates this energy and this fun, you know. And uh, anyway, I just got excited, you know, see, and seeing other kids play. I remember that was like, oh, that kid's killing it on the guitar. I want to do that, you know. And yeah. so on the way back from that festival, my brother was playing a tape of Mike Aldridge, who's one of the greats on the instrument. And, um, and I just went, I didn't even know what a dobro was, but it just blew my mind. And I started playing as soon as I got home that day and been playing ever since. Well, Trey, let's, let's get you in this party for a second. So, All uh, right. <laughs> How did you get started in guitar? So, yeah, I, I grew up, you know, none of my family played, but they were all big music fans, uh, especially my granddad. He was, you know, way into Hank Williams and uh, George Jones and a lot of classic country and a lot of bluegrass. He had a big Flat & Scruggs discography. Um, and uh, I just, you know, I paid attention to that music and I really loved it, uh, but it wasn't until I went to a bluegrass festival and uh, I saw Charlie Waller playing uh at that festival who was one of the great you know uh i guess probably second generation bluegrass great but uh yeah had the country gentleman forever and just an amazing band and he was a great rhythm guitar player and uh, occasionally played some lead and at that festival i guess he was the first person that i really ever paid attention to actually playing a guitar instead of just strumming you know a, a song and uh as soon as I saw that, I was kind of sold. It's like, I, I want to play lead guitar. And uh, so I started playing. I think I yeah, I picked up guitar on Monday and played a gig Friday. So <laughs> it was all quick, you know. <laughs> well, you and I were talking about this a couple weeks ago, but you also played sports, right? I did. I did. Yeah, I played, uh, I played baseball and was on several different teams. Um, but, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like I once I've – figured out that I wanted to play guitar, everything else took a back seat, you know? And so I didn't want to be practicing or playing on, you know, three different baseball teams when I could be at home figuring out guitar things. <laughs> and so <laughs> I just kind of quit, you know, and, and my dad, um, he loved, he, well, he loves baseball and he loves music and probably leaned a little bit more towards the music thing just because he saw how excited I was. So he was, uh, he was okay with me finishing out the the season there, and of course, you know it's like the chances of of playing in in the major league baseball was pretty slim, <laughs> you know. So uh, it was it, it was just the excitement I think was was what kind of took over. And it's like 
you know, even it just kind of took over everything. It still does. It's like that excitement never left. And, uh, yeah, I'm still excited. I'm still as excited about it now as I was when I heard Charlie Waller play that first lick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. When, when Trey first moved to Nashville and we started working together, I I knew he was ruined as they say out here. (laughs) he He was so talented and was so good, you know, and, and, but he just had a, I could tell he had a dedication to it, you know, that, you know, some kids are good and, and they, you know, they get into it, but I could tell he was a lifer, as we say, you know, and, and, and he's, he's so good at so many different styles, you know, he's a great blues player, a great electric guitar player. And, um, but, uh, but yeah, you kind of see that in other people, other musicians, you know, and, and, uh, and, and it's, it's, it's kind of nice to, uh, that's what I love about living in Nashville. We're all nuts about me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's easy to spot the fire. You know, it's easy to see <laughs> yeah. the other people that are and as excited about it. Tommy's got more fire than all of us put together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, I resemble that remark. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> well, I love Tommy's story because it's it's so hard to do what he's doing with. You know, that bass with the thumb and the fact that you figured out how to do that all by yourself. I just can't even imagine that, actually. You know, um, I have a six-year-old daughter, and and I look at her, and she's messing around with the ukulele, and she's, you know, doing other things. And I, I look at her, and I have to say, I was a professional guitar player touring, making a living... At that age. Wow. And I think, how's that possible? I don't even know <laughs> how, how it was possible. But all I knew is that we as a family, my two brothers and my sister, were a, we were a quartet. And all we wanted to do was play all the time, you know. And the fact that we had no training or the, 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 the fact that we were kids didn't, enter into our thoughts or even our mum and dad we were very serious about it and we 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 love playing for people and you know we we were serious you know we want a better amplifier than this dad we want something that sounds more like you know the guys on the record and my dad had to buy a reverb unit and things like that because we we weren't going to play without reverb and you know how does a six-year-old know that i don't know yeah that's that's bizarre it's bizarre it really is (laughs) But but I remember I remember being like you know for, at that age and got so into it and it's like you know what you want to do and I that that moment of lightning bolt you know is always really interesting to me and I love hearing other people's stories and mm. I don't know yeah where does it come from and and how do you pick it up you know it's uh, it's weird how much especially as a kid you know you just mm-hmm. you just can you just. You, I don't know. It just it just overtakes your whole brain. You know, it's crazy. It's obviously something that you're born with because most people don't just pick it up that quickly. And so Mm. I think, you know, that some people are just, you know, they're born with a sort of an innate talent. And then when given the opportunity, then you have to take the opportunity. But um, which Mm. you did. But when you were a kid, Tommy, you were traveling. You were actually you're traveling. I mean, you were touring, right? Even as a kid. I was. I was my my brother and I were sleeping in the back seat of our dad's car 
and you know my uh, the equipment was in the back and up on the roof and then and we had a trailer and then then we had a little tent and we would pitch the tent um, you know outside of town next to a river or something and we'd all sleep in there and then mum would cook breakfast on a fire and it, it was we we lived on the road you know that that's that's how it was and um, we 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 did that until my 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 dad passed away uh, suddenly in 1966 and um, after my mum kind of grieved for about four days in her in her bedroom we were living in a place in those days and she came out and said gathered us all together and said well shall we just stay here and have a normal life and we all went no (laughs) (laughs) we want to go back on the road and but you know it turned out that we were forced off the road by the government. But there was a government body called the Child Welfare Department, and they thought that we were being like slave labor or something like that, and that it was unnatural for kids to be touring and playing shows and being up at night and stuff like that. So they, they forced us off the road and forced us into schools and we had to rent a house and all that stuff so but you know there was one one thing i wanted to say before when we were talking about um, influences and stuff when i heard chet atkins on the radio i remember that moment vividly still to this day and i said to myself i don't know what that is but whatever that is, that's what I have to do. That, and, and that was the end of it. You know, I have to do that. And, you know, Chet Atkins told me the same story. He said he was living on a farm down in Columbus, Georgia, with his father and his, his stepmom. And his father built him a little radio set, a crystal set. And he tuned in the radio station from Cincinnati on a Saturday night. And he heard Travis playing and he said that's what i have to do and he he almost said the same thing it sort of gives me chill bumps because i know that you got to meet him you know at some point and that that in and of itself is 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 pretty amazing that you were able to do that you're idle you know we don't always get to do that yes i sometimes i i you know hear the record of us playing together and I have to ask myself, did that really happen? <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's too much to take in, you know. But, uh, you know, thank God I've got Robin Trey to, to share music with you. you know? Well, and uh, so Robin Trey, how did y'all meet? Because you, you play together. Most people may not know that on this call. So I'm going to say that you, you guys are a duo. And then Tom, you brought Tommy in. But how did you guys meet? Well, I, I met Trey when he was a kid. I mean, he was probably 12 years old, and, and I was playing with Earl Scruggs. Um, and we, I remember, I maybe met you before this, Trey, but the, the gig I remember was at, in Knoxville at the Tennessee Theater. And yeah. um, Trey had met Earl Scruggs a few months earlier, and Earl had become just a huge fan of Trey's, you know, and just such a talented, nice kid, you know. And, 
And so whenever we played in East Tennessee, he'd invite Trey to sit in with us. And um, so I remember he came up that night and did Jimmy Brown, the newsboy, and just hit it out of the park, you know. Like I said, he was just probably 12 or something, you know. And and um, and then I didn't see him for a long time. Um, and then uh, we were – I was in a bluegrass band called Blue Highway uh, for like 21 years. And um, we were doing an album in East Tennessee – and we needed a scratch vocal on one song. And so the, the guy who owns the studio is real close with Trey. And he said, let me call Trey Hensley. He'll come in tomorrow. He'll do a great job. And I said, okay, cool. Let's do it. So Trey came in and never heard this song before. And it was an original, you know, and he just slayed it. And um, it was so good that we left his lead vocal <laughs> on the track. <laughs> and, um, and, and then... Um, <clears throat> It, soon after that, uh, Trey moved to Nashville and I was, you know, I said, man, I'd love to introduce you around and, and you know, get you going in this town because I think you're amazing. You know, he just quickly became my favorite singer and, and guitar player. And um, and we just kind of clicked, you know, on a lot of levels. And and so uh, then we did a record together and I got nominated for a Grammy. And, and then we started playing with Tommy right after that. And, and that really clicked. And uh, but yeah, does that sound right, Trey? Is that <laughs> that's that's all right, man. Yeah, that, <laughs> that that all adds up. I know. Yeah, that that first time, I guess it was the first time we met was there in, at the Tennessee Theater in 2002. I was just I just found some pictures from that. Oh, recently. right. So, yeah, that. That was really cool. So, Trey, what was it like to play with Earl Scruggs at 12 years old? <laughs> well, Earl, you know, I mentioned my granddad earlier, um, being a big Flat Scruggs fan. Um, I, I'd heard Earl's playing my entire life, you know, and I was really particularly a fan of Earl's uh, guitar playing because he played, you know, on the played a few tracks on the the Carnegie Hall live Flat Scruggs record, and then there was a uh, a Carter family album that Flatten Scruggs did that was really one of those that, I mean, that, I think that was the first CD that I ever bought with my own money. You know, I went out to, to Cat's Music and, and bought this CD and uh, and it had a lot of guitar playing on it, but it had Jimmy Brown, the newsboy. And so the whole reason for me getting to meet Earl was um, because I had met Marty Stewart uh, about six months after I started playing. Uh, Marty was playing at a fair uh, close to where I grew up and, uh, and I was a huge Marty Stewart fan and still am. And, uh, but I had this big felt guitar case that I would, was hoping that he would sign, you know? And, and so somehow my dad figured out a way to get us backstage, uh, to have Marty sign my guitar case. And, um, kind of unbeknownst to me, my dad, once we get back there, kind of says, Hey Marty, my son would love to play you a song. <laughs> which was not a part of the original deal, but I was okay with that. <laughs> and uh, and so I played uh, Jimmy Brown, the Newsboy for Marty because I'd sat and learned it off this record. Um, and uh, and so he had me come up and play it that night with him on, on his show. Mm. And then after that, he asked if I would come play at the Opry with him. And uh, there was a, a connection there because the first record that Marty had was a flat and scrubs record that had Jimmy Brown on it. And so right. he knew exactly where I had learned it from and which was where he had learned it from. And so that night at the Opry, when I got there, uh, Marty had asked Earl to come play it with us. And uh, so that's, that's where I had originally met Earl and I got to spend, you know, the whole evening with him just kind of sitting backstage at the Ryman uh, 
and we picked for hours. Almost missed uh, getting to play the show because we were sitting back there playing. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, it was so amazing because yeah, it's kind of like you know Tommy and Chet. That was my first mm. you know guitar hero. That was uh, you know uh, he he is who I wanted to play like when I was you know. Mm-hmm first got a guitar and um and so yeah it was amazing and then uh, i got to play with him several times and that's you know rob and i crossed paths a lot whenever i was a kid because of because of that earl connection well you know i've heard from a lot of bluegrass players that bluegrass is special in a collaborative sort of way because you have the new music you're writing but you also have all these standards that are bluegrass standards that everyone learns when they learn bluegrass and then when you get together Everyone knows how to play them, so you can all jam and yeah. pick them up at the same time. And so there's all these great jam sessions. Yeah, yeah. It's a, lot of, a lot of energy, you know, at those things. Yeah, and just you go to festivals and then you meet up with other people and it's it's a real community in the sort of the bluegrass yeah. world. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's handed down, you know, person to person sort of. I mean, I remember there was some dobro players when I was a kid that would you know, take me aside and show me some licks that I was interested in learning, you know, and, um, and, you know, and when you're a kid, I'm sure we could all speak to this, you know, people just love it when you play an instrument, you're a little kid, you know, (laughs) so I had so many people, not just dobro players, but I mean, guitar players, just people that, that took time with me, you know, and, and, and to show me things and teach me things. And, and as a parent now, I just, I feel like I never have enough time to spend with my kids, you know, and and so I when I look back on that, I really appreciate what the several people in particular, you know, that that spent a lot of time with me. It took time from their kids even <laughs> spent time with me, you know. So it yeah, it's handed down like that, you know, person to person to a certain extent. Yeah. So when did mm-hmm. you guys meet Tommy? I do think it was that uh, we we got to play a show with Tommy at uh, the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco, yeah. uh, and it was kind of on our dream list. You know, Tommy is uh, I'll say this for for both Rob and I, he is one of our you know favorite musicians ever, and um, and so obviously it was high on our dream list to get to play a gig with Tommy Emanuel, and it just so happened to work out that on this tour there was a couple dates that we got to work with Tommy, and. Um, and so I guess that was the first time. I, I can't remember the year on that, but it was probably 2016 or something like that. And uh, it kind of, yeah, it was, it just, yeah, it clicked immediately. You know, we, we felt like it just had a great time at that show. And then it just kept getting funner and funner. <laughs> <laughs> so where did the idea come from to put this EP together, Accomplice Series Volume 1? <clears throat> well, the reason I called it the Accomplice Series is because... A few years ago, I released an album called Accomplice One, and and uh, because I had an idea that that I might do something else with that, because I like the word accomplice uh, rather than you know duet or whatever. So um, to kind of start this series, um, I invited Robin Trader to uh, come out to the studio and see what we could come up with. And and really, we we, um, we only had a couple of songs that that we had worked on previously. So the day that they came to the studio, I suggested a, a couple of other songs, and they all came together so quickly that you know we did all four songs in the one day, and um, 
and then I mixed it the next day with with my uh, my sound engineer guy Brad Benj, and and it was done, you know. And it's just a great combination um, uh, of of styles and and everything. It all just came together so so well. So this is the first. This is the first release of that series of the Accomplice series. Well, and there's the first single is Flat Did It. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. And Flat Did It is a song that Chet Atkins wrote. And what he did is he took all Lester Flats uh, uh, from Flat and Scruggs. He he took all Lester Flats kind of pick, picking ideas and little little little. Uh, uh, licks that, that 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 he used to play in songs, and he turned it into a song. And so, you know, I play the first phrase, and then Trey answers with a with a similar phrase, and then I say another phrase, and he answers. And it's just it's just a great little little tune, you know. And um, some of the other songs on there were, were the Buck Owens uh, Rasmataz Polka, which I learned, you know, back in the in the sixties. And uh, I, I remember our, our first show in San Francisco that Trey was just telling you about. Um, we were talking about our influences backstage, getting to know each other. And, and you know, they, Rob and Trey both uh, knew a lot of Buck Owens as well. So I, I, I went launched into Rasmataz Polka and, and Trey just jumped on it, you know. And so we ended up working it out, you know. And um, um, and that that night, um, uh, Rob surprised me because he he'd listened to my album. Uh, it's uh, it's never too late. And there's a song on there called "It's Never Too Late," and um, and he'd worked out a part and and played it for me at soundcheck, and I said. Wow, sounds beautiful, and you want you want to play it with me tonight, and so it was it was really special. So that's how all that came about, you know. It's that's the magic of music. It things happen that you you couldn't possibly have planned, you know. <laughs> so. Well, it's fun. I know. I that's one of the things I like about Tommy is he's he's a a fan as well as a player, and he. You know, you do that record with John Knowles and Chet Ack, you know, all these different, you, you're always seeking, you know, you're always looking for something new, you know, and um, and so I, I really, I respect that a lot because some, mm -hmm. some guitar players might just want to hang out in the room and figure it all out on their own, but you, you, uh -huh. you like the back and forth, you know, and you like, I mean, music making, even though you're a solo artist a lot of the times, mm. You know, maybe that's part of the reason why you seek out these other things. But um, but I, I, I really appreciate that, how you you're always learning stuff. I mean, you're a great jazz player. I mean, finger style is just one part of what you do. I mean, you, you do so many yeah. things, but uh, but that's uh, exciting to be around somebody who's just always got so many different things going on. It's it's inspiring. Uh, you know, uh, I'm so blessed in my life, uh, you know, uh, there are so many guys out there that that uh, I mean, you don't always meet people who are not not everyone is open and is a is a jammer and all that sort of stuff like us. You know, there are great players out there, but there are some people who just they just don't 
think that way, they, they, they're not interested, you know. Whereas I love being around people who, I'm going to throw you a ball and you're going to hit it back to me. We're, we're going to have a great game, you know. That's, that's my idea. Yeah, you know? yeah. And, you know, I, I know I could throw anything at you guys and, and you'd hit it back to me and it's, it's beautiful. And, and uh, I'm, you know... There have been times, I won't name names, but there have been times where I had, you know, some of my real heroes, uh, you know, on the show and wanted to really, you know, thinking that they would be fired up for us to play together. And they did nothing when they got out there because they weren't interested and I don't know why still to this day but I have witnessed that and I have been uh, really disappointed by, <laughs> by people and you know I get in the car afterwards and go back to the hotel and on my drive back I think is there something wrong with me? <laughs> Should I be more reserved? <laughs> am, I, am I still a child? <laughs> and I think I am. You know, I, I think I still approach music as a child. Um, and, and I think I always will. And I can't be any other way. Right, you're having well, fun right. with it. And some, someone's taking it really 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 very seriously and it's not that you're not taking it seriously it's that you're still having so much fun with it that you just want to oh, play yeah. with everybody right well also i think a lot of times people think music's competitive and it's it's strange it's it's like it's not a contact sport this is spiritual <laughs> where we live in the spirit world with 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 music and, and when things happen spontaneously and all that, that's like, God, that's worth living for. It's incredible. Yeah. I wish I could have yeah. been a fly on the wall when you all got together. Did you film this? Did someone capture this on film? <laughs> uh, there'll be a lot more stuff going on, believe <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, got plenty more where that came from. <laughs> exactly. Where can people get this? Is it just digital or is it an album? Um, so the EP comes out tomorrow, but it will be streaming on all digital outlets. It's incredible. I mean, you guys Thank are so talented, and everyone should should listen. And then I'm just hoping that you guys do this again. Well, I hope that, that somewhere in our travels we end up back in Memphis. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Are you going to come see us? And Hey, you know what? I'll jam with you, and I'm not very good, but... <laughs> All right. Bring it on. <laughs> yeah. But actually, I'd rather rather just see you guys. So um, next time you're in Memphis, definitely stop by Diddy TV. We'd love to have you. Well, I still drink my coffee out of my Diddy TV cup. I'll have you. <laughs> I'm sending you a new one, and you can have more than one. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> Well, it was it was such a pleasure talking to you guys. It was uh, it was great, Thanks, and um, we look forward to uh, the album and and seeing you guys re again real soon when we're all back out on the road, right? Yeah, exactly. That's great. That's good. That's great. Thanks, Amy. Take well, care. Thank you. Lots of love. See you, boys. Oh, see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this conversation with Tommy Emanuel, Rob Ikes, and Trey Hensley. Be sure to check out their new EP. Accomplice Series Volume 1, which you can find right now online at a variety of websites 
mainly TommyEmmanuel.com. And as always, don't forget to visit DiddyTV.com for more exclusive on-demand content and to download the official Diddy TV app from your app store today. What would you do to achieve the American dream? The big house, the happy family, the money. 911, what's your emergency? Would you put in the hours? Would you take a big swing? What's the problem? What's the problem? Would you lie? Would you cheat? Would I shop? Would I shop? Would you kill? Yes. From Airship, the studio behind American Scandal, comes a new true crime history podcast. I'm Jeremy Schwartz, and I'll be taking you inside the minds of some of our most notorious felons and outlaws, exploring the dark side of the American dream. In my new show, American Criminal, you'll meet the picture-perfect brothers who killed their parents, the thief who stole babies, the crypto king who siphoned off billions and plenty more. From assassins and gangsters to killers and con artists, whatever the case, whoever the criminal, you don't know the full story until now. Don't miss the debut season of American Criminal, The Menendez Brothers, beginning February 29th. Listen wherever you get your podcasts, or to get early ad-free access to the entire season first, plus hundreds of other ad-free history podcast episodes, subscribe at intohistory.com.